Welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird with Sam Backer as always. And yeah, coming in a little late this time, but go ahead and just blame a couple busy schedules and the holidays. So we apologize. But on today's episode, actually, before we dive into today's episode, I'm going to say this at the top of the show. Please subscribe to our newsletter at Money for Nothing. That's the number four substack.com. Rate and review us, tell a friend, all that good stuff. It helps get the good word of Money for Nothing out there. It it truly, it truly does. It actually if you're does. you're listening to this and say like, oh man, I listen to this podcast and I have not yet rated and reviewed. Really, think about it. It, it, you could have done it already. You, you could have done it already. Five, yeah. You could have done it already. We're not telling you how many stars to give us, but the correct answer is, of course, five. Five. Yeah. Five. 100%. Yeah. Um, so on that, on today's episode, we are turning our gaze onto Merlin or Merlin Network. And no, we don't mean the wizard. We mean the self-described most trusted international digital music licensing partner for independence. And by independence, and if that doesn't roll off the tongue, I don't know. Sure what to does tell it. You. Yeah, I, I sure does. Yeah. Um, and by independence, they largely mean independent labels. Um, we've mentioned Merlin a lot on this show, but we've never actually done like a dive into like what Merlin is, who Merlin is, what does Merlin do, why does Merlin exist in the first place. And so that's what we're doing on today's episode. And I think before we get into the background and history of Merlin. I think that like one motivating factor behind doing an episode on Merlin is this question of like what it means when we say independence or independent labels or indie labels or indie music or independent band. And, um, you know, we've kind of circled around this question on past episodes. It brought up a lot, I think, in yeah. like the discourse about major labels and the discourse of kind of like what, um, you know, the stamp of authenticity and a discourse of like the relation, you know, uh, uh, and increasingly in this kind of like everyone's doing more and more clearly like right in a post streaming world, lots of people are doing things that labels used to do. Um, And so they are at some level more independent in that there's, you know, every once in a while there's a horror story of like, a major label being like, no, we will not release that album. But there's a lot more people like determining like what clothes they're wearing to the photo shoot than there used to be. But what does that mean from a, a, a more structural sense? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we've kind of circled around this question a lot um, about like what it kind of means in a modern context of like what it, what it means to be independent. But um, we never actually really addressed it head on, nor have we really addressed Merlin and like what it is, as I mentioned, but I would say that like probably over the past decade and a half, like what it means to be quote unquote independent in the music industry has like also shifted dramatically as you were suggesting. Um, and just kind of add what you were saying, like, you know, you can't lump uh, acts like let's say Blood Orange or The National or like labels like 4AD and Domino with yeah, your local cassette label putting out, you know, Grindcore or like Experimental Dark Wave or something. Dude, dude Blood Orange or The National, Adele. Yeah, Adele. Or, or if you want to get crazy here, Vampire I mean, Weekend, fucking Bad Bunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Though, like, ba- like, like Bad Bunny's on on a label out of Puerto Rico called Remus. I'm uh, probably saying that with an extremely uh, <laughs> poor accent, but it's it's considered a quote unquote independent label. Now, I'm not sure whether Remus is linked with Merlin, and you know, we'll get into like what Merlin does and everything, and I, I guess it, it is. But I think that like our our attempt to destruct the who, what, when, and why of Merlin, I think we are also deconstructing like what the fuck independent means now, 
and not just what Merlin is in 2023. And uh, I think what we'll see is that a distinction is actually already being made. Uh, I've been seeing it a lot this year, um, particularly in conversations around Spotify, um, that uh, now there's a distinction being made between what is being called DIY. So, you know, uh, your local suburban SoundCloud, your local suburban SoundCloud trap producer or punk cassette label. And then the like, you know, independent members of Merlin. So anyways, before we get too far into this, let's rewind a bit and just like, I want, let's offer a little bit of background on like the origins of Merlin, what the hell it is, you know, and then we can kind of like dive into uh, what it's become and its role as a, as a major player. And even it's been called a fourth major um, in, in this musical ecosystem. So I think that like, I think a real inflection point, which is also the start of Merlin really occurs around 2006 2007 and 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 that's when you kind of start to see maybe bands that were kind of traditionally known as indie like a modest mouse or something start like getting radio play or like more popular but like so and then and 2007 is like when we when when merlin forms right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i think it's also worth even you know just thinking through like the kind of broader um like even the broader history behind it and this is you know fairly well known right that you get we've talked about this a lot you get this there's a thriving indie ecosystem in the 1980s which looks rather different and i guess this is probably a touch point that that we'll return to uh, several times in this episode about like it looks kind of different clearly it looks incredibly different today for many reasons one of them is that they're physically selling actual pressed things which has all kinds of ramifications throughout kind of like um throughout the potential structure of the industry right one of them is that it's possible to have kind of this self-contained set of like independent labels um, that sell a lot of records in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, you know, we talk about Fugazi a lot, but like they sold a ton of some of those records. Similarly, um, Lookout sold a tremendous number of Green Day records or Epitaph sold a ton ton of um offspring records and while like a lot of those bands eventually go to sign to majors uh partially just because in the indies can't handle it you do get this thriving subculture um some of those bands get bought up some of them stay kind of medium sized throughout i think the mid 90s and then kind of you know i, I would say like what happened at one level uh, a bunch of bands kind of moved away in some another level you know musical cycles change like <laughs> as i look out across like the streets of new york and see people in honest to god jinko jeans it's like oh there is nothing new under the sun sometimes it just takes a decade or two for things to come back so like right there's this wave of independent bands in the i would say that kind of on these moderately successful labels that are able to make a living right because while Sebado or Dinosaur Jr., um, let me put it this way, while Dinosaur Jr., who signs to Warner, never sells Nirvana records, and Sebado never sells Dinosaur Jr. records, they still sell a bunch of records, right? And so, like, you can make, like, a decent, you know, K records and all these Matador, early Matador, all these labels make enough money to kind of keep this whole thing going. And then, I would say, kind of a almost a decade later right like 2003 2004 2005 2006 you start getting this new wave of bands who many ways kind of draw from aesthetically 
the music draws from the kind of like post-punk with hooks that's kind of running alongside grunge right like archers of like modest mouse don't exist without archers of loaf i would argue and alongside that also a lot of these bands came out of the same general ecosystem so they're signed or a lot or uh bands like them are signed to this kind of wave of labels many of whom came out of that first movement right so sub pop is selling records again epitaph is selling records again matador is selling records again merge is selling records again and so you do get this movie so so they're able to kind of use some of that previous infrastructure and kind of slot into a new audience that that's really eager to hear those sounds um and i think that that one of the interesting things is it's hard to untangle here and 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 maybe impossible to untangle here right like what is industry conditions (laughs) what is kind of cultural flows and what's like the i don't know like uh not to get like too too esoteric maybe but you know this like um uh, raymond williams has this idea like structures of feeling like the mixture between social dynamics and aesthetic like that 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 the atmosphere of a moment that can kind of like operate along a bunch of different potential axes and so like it, it does seem to me that like whereas early 90 bands in that grunge crossover moment where like either you're independent or you're mainstream what you get in the 2000s is a series of bands and labels that have kind of made their way can you know earn some kind of institutional legitimacy institutional longevity they've been around for 10 years now a lot of them have signed various kinds of distribution deals over the previous time clearly they've survived a major infrastructural switch in music, which I'm not talking necessarily as much about the move to to, to, phys- to downloading from physical sales, but also just the kind of like centralization of American record buying that happens prior to the move to digital sales, right? So like, they're like figuring, like, I bought some of these records in a circuit city which means that they knew how to get into circuit city right they had the distributors they had the networks because they'd been around for a while and it seems to me that like it was a cohort of bands and a co a moment that cared a lot about the aesthetic but less strongly about like clear fast and hard dividing lines because in some ways it didn't seem to matter as much right it was possible to be kind of in this very kind of brief but you know not that brief like moment it was possible to be like quirky like (laughs) russian constructivist referencing art pop funk whatever post-punk people like franz ferdinand and have a number one album and like it didn't seem like you had to choose maybe in this moment or that choice didn't seem in some ways it's like very much like a early 2000s story it's like it's all neoliberalism baby and we don't have to choose because kind of the choice is made and you just it's possible to like uh be weird and sell records yeah i mean it kind of reminds me of something else though which i which is kind of relates is that it on the flip side of it it also kind of like marks the sort of last gasp of this accusatory like sellout culture which I think was like still happening, you know, as of even like the late 90s that like, you know, a band that would make the jump from a quote unquote independent label to a major would be considered a sellout or even like an independent band, like say, 
you know green day happened to like happening to like score a music video on mtv oh it must be selling out oh it's like a sellout but but we see that argument we don't hear that argument anymore at all and i think that's partially because of the fact that of kind of things you're saying as well where it just like suddenly like that hard dividing line started to like really get erased by the cultural moment but i think there are other contributing factors i mean i also think that it's important to, to be very specific about what kind of music we're talking about here and 100 right like there's a there's a classic uh Sasha Frere Jones piece, The Unbearable Whiteness of Indie Rock or something along those lines. And like, it's a very specific cohort. And this is not true across the board, right? There are numerous important bands with members of color, but like for, and and rightly or wrongly, some of these bands got kind of like tagged, but there's this uh, aesthetic that read (laughs) in a very specific way or was read um, and, and had exclusionary tendencies as well. But I think more generally, like, if we think about kind of the racialized dynamics of American music listenership, which is not hard and fast rules, but kind of like general trends, not always, clearly not throughout its history, but certainly by the 80s, like 70s, 80s, rock tended to be a wider musical style. And by the 90s, right, there are major <laughs> chart-topping black musical forms, both in terms of R&B and in terms of rap. And the the center, right, there's been many last gaps, gasps of rock. But, like, you could argue that the last gasp of rock is the absolute dominant form or a dominant form in American popular, popular musical culture is grunge. Um, after kind of that bubble and then burst partially because a lot of those bands are actually pretty weird you get kind of a splintering of rock music what i call like a deltification you know like i don't know if you counted up all the different subgenres of rock how it would like you how it would stack up against other kinds of musical listening probably be less but like there stops being there stops being an aesthetically viable at least from like a critical perspective an aesthetically viable mainstream rock which really is a, is, is a huge i think like um in the discourse and the ideology a huge difference right like the underground won and the underground hated the mainstream and then the underground collapsed and then they're like what was the mainstream nickelback right especially when especially when the alternatives are like dr dre or biggie like fabulous fabulous pop music so i mean i do think another interesting thing about this moment of indie rock triumph that like kind of sets the stage for Merlin kind of sets the stage for this world a little bit. Um, and that, 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 uh, also kind of sets the stage for this changing definitions of indie is like, this is the kind of the triumph of independent of like indie rock within a much smaller rock universe than had previously existed. And so you can list like the biggest bands, who are on indie labels it's like you know franz Ferdinand, arctic monkeys white stripes lives libertines grizzly bear arcade fire vampire weekend those sold a lot of records but not compared to like like the chronic 2001 <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 or not or not compared to like <laughs> the carter three you know like and probably when we're talking about like independent labels in this conversation like we're not talking about cash money because Cash Money, an independent label, signed a distribution deal with a major because they wanted their music into every single possible like 
American orifice. <laughs> Hip hop started dominating. <laughs> and 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 uh, uh, in the UK, right, dance music becomes increasingly important. Right, which we we see now, which is like you know obviously how it's it's dominant for us now. Right, it, interesting, interesting. Yeah, so this kind of like sets the stage for well, well, though, so so we take this right, and then we. And then there's also something happening, which is a major technological change. Right. Uh, right. Shift. So what you have is this moment where, like, there's this cohort of labels that have done pretty well by themselves, actually. In this, they're not, and again, they're not exclusively rock labels. Like, XL Records is not exclusively, or Warp, right, which are big members of the kind of, like, Merlin cohort, are not exclusively rock labels. But a lot of them are fairly, like, domino records. You know, like, they're they're fairly big what you think of as like indie rock like with an ie or a y or however you spell it just indie i-n-d-i like a maniac (laughs) why if you're Um, in the like uh the english uh what do they call it if you're in the commonwealth i-e if you're in the states so i think you have this moment where these these labels have done pretty well for themselves but they're also seeing kind of the writing on the wall and by the writing on the wall we mean like the fact that cd sales are creating and figuring out how to come up with new cash flows is a little bit difficult now i do want to like it's interesting again thinking about this like indie moment my gut is these are also bands that probably benefited from the early music downloading economy, right? Like a lot of bands, like there was this kind of like no one making money, but like democratization of the internet, right? Like famously, famously Arctic Monkeys give away their like first demo recordings and they get downloaded like 600,000 times in a week or something. Because frankly, those like, those like 19 year old kids really wrote (laughs) a good set of songs wild wild does have you ever seen like the youtube of them like performing when they were just out of high school they're like they're children and you're like oh sir you're a fully developed songwriter like even like alex um whatever his name is like had like a like a old man like he old man 19 year old vibe like harder than almost anyone i've ever like off 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 the jump harder than like anyone i've ever heard like even bob dylan's first album right like because bob dylan went like young man old man pretty fast bob dylan's first album is like he's a cutie pie you know and he's like talking about like 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 early arctic monkeys are like divorce songs and i'm like sir you're 21 like <laughs> you have you've dated a girl in high school maybe <laughs> alex turner the old soul of uh, the arctic monkeys but but right so like these are also bands and it's interesting to think about whether this move and that I would say the relative canniness of this move reflects the fact that this is a set of labels that really realize realize that a they're going to get cut out of this digital economy if they're they don't do something about it and b that like the internet's incredibly powerful like remember they they get started in 2007 merlin merlin sorry merlin gets started in 2007 
the iTunes store only hits the UK in 2004. <laughs> Famously, and this is interesting and kind of gives you a sense of the problems they're up against, the iTunes store hits the UK in 2004 without a single independent artist on it because they didn't have a licensing agreement. Well, that's fucking wild. But before we jump into that, let's just like let's just like maybe real quick describe like what makes up Merlin? Like who? So when Merlin forms in 2007, yeah, and it starts. It starts forming in about? 2005. It has like an advisory committee, and then kind of takes a year or two to get going. But basically, it's a nonprofit industry organization. This is when you know, ladies and gentlemen, that you're really in the weeds when you're starting to like get do do your industry organization deep dives. You know. Because they're, they're so important. And I think they actually, like, mask their influence on the world by just being, like, hiding in invisibility cloaks of boredom, right? Like, it's <laughs> so dull that you can't pay attention to, like, the meat lobby. Because they're just – it's like, what is it? It's is it is it a conspiracy? Like, no. It's like a bunch of people just, like, talking to each other. Like, their minutes are available. Like, there's no there's no there there. And yet – that's a general. That's a general. Folks who want to understand the 20th century look to the trade organizations. Yeah. No, I, it's funny because doing research for this, I was like, you know, I'm thinking, I don't know, for some reason in my head, you know, I'm thinking Merlin. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you know, like former, like, you know, punk new wave kids who, like, you know, were in bands who, like, started a label and were like, you know what, we're going to get fucked out of the streaming, like, economy. Like, we need to get together. And you're like, well, actually, this is, like, an extremely powerful and organized organization. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> and, and right, and it's it's it's, it's interesting. I, th- I think that's a really good point, which is that, like, if you have made it, like, the beggars group, is a major part of this, which is a major UK um, label that has uh, a whole bunch of different kind of sub-labels, Beggar's Banquet uh, among them. It comes out of punk new wave, has made it through like decades of music industry. And you don't survive as an independent label for that long without having, like without growing up and like professionalizing and really being competent, yeah. (laughs) Being good at what you do. Yeah, so they seem like a deeply competent group of people, and they're all these labels that have been around for a while and often are like consortiums of other labels or distributors in and of themselves. And basically, it's in, so it's a non-profit trade organization these various labels sign with and that basically negotiates on behalf of them in order to strike deals with various sorts of... Um, like digital rights users, right? So and licensing, yeah, digital digital licensing, right? All the different kinds of licensing you can imagine. So like Spotify or YouTube or TikTok or Twitch, Twitch, or on and on and on and on and on. And basically, a bunch of a bunch of a bunch of platforms we've never heard of in like all over the world, like Australia, Africa, Asia, yeah. And so basically, right? Like they, I think, see. They, I think, see from like a fairly early point that they're going to get a there needs to be like and, and this is kind of a, a one of the first points where it's like a clear difference between physical sales and digital sales. Besides like one's a thing and one's a f- like a packet of file, you know, file transfer protocol. Blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like structurally one of the major differences is that yes you need 
some licensing in order to press vinyl, but sort of like to sell vinyl in my store, like someone needs to, can show up and famously, right? Think about like the fifties chess records, small scale R and B. Like I could show up or, or frankly, like the rise of grime and like DJ white labels. I can show up at your record store with the trunk of my car filled with product that you can buy for me either outright or on consignment. And like, that's it. I don't need lawyers involved. Oftentimes in the music industry, I desperately don't want lawyers involved or like the IRS or whatever the British version, the exchequer. I don't know what the British version of the IRS is. The queen. Like, <laughs> the queen. Um, the, but like in order just to like get your material, your label's material on a streaming service, you need to sign these deals and oftentimes there's there's kind of two ways to do this right one is like i'm sure that these streaming services have like a joe schmo deal right if you're listening to this podcast on spotify you are seeing the benefits and negatives of the joe schmo deal we kind of just upload this thing to a variety of different platforms that uh clearly or something advertising against our sweet sweet content um and that's maybe not the best plan if you're label but like so a lot of these labels didn't want to just give their product to spotify or whoever just because they were like oh no we're a very nice media company don't don't worry trust us so any other anything but that requires like a lot of negotiating and not just negotiating in one place right Again, I don't know how importing exporting works, but I also like you kind of pay taxes and then like you can get it to another country, right? That's different than figuring out the different kinds of licensing required to stream across borders or stream internationally. And so like just from the jump, there's a level of additional difficulty and kind of like centralized difficulty, right? It's not like getting a thing from place to place and that's a hard thing to do because there's a whole bunch of like hoops you have to jump through it's like one problem that requires a fairly high level of organization and that merlin is really designed to 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 address that issue and to allow these quote unquote indie labels to get some sort of leverage against whatever new licensing opportunity emerges yeah and to be clear like baker's group or you know xl or sub pop or whatever i mean we don't want to downplay the fact that they are independent like they don't have the resource i mean it's, it's it's an obvious point but they don't have the resources as like the big labels and so like getting together and 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 doing this as like a collective like made made the most sense like it was almost kind of out of necessity really if they're gonna like get any kind of bag at all in this situation <laughs> and it's it's you know it's also and it's also kind of worth thinking about like if they didn't form merlin like what would have happened i mean you would probably see a lot of these independent labels one either fold or two be gobbled up by the majors yeah 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 yeah, totally or just be offered a significantly less good deal i mean you also wonder like because because again i mean yeah or like you know if if if, you know if a spotify would even give like say like you know sub pop like negotiating on their own like you know if if, like spotify would even like have given them like uh, an opportunity to like sit at the table with them you know they wouldn't even be interested in 
in it. You know, it, it's just it's it, it's kind of wild to think about. It. I don't know. I was just thinking about and doing the research about this. Like, what would happen like without Merlin? <laughs> and it's it's, it's bleak, actually. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Absolutely. I mean, and and it, it's also important because this. And let's talk about the size of this for a second, right? Like, Merlin represents something like ten to fifteen percent. Um, it varies and clearly like these numbers are all sus, but like, I think like uh, as of 2018, 2019, it re- represents like 15% of the overall streaming ecosystem. All those labels together, it's like what, Saxon, like 10 or so percentage smaller than the smallest of the majors, something like that. Right, right. A little bit, little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's much smaller than the three majors, but it's still a pretty big chunk of the streaming ecosystem yeah no thinking about like what would happen and and without something like merlin is that that percentage of the streaming ecosystem and again like as of last count something like 75 percent of the streaming ecosystem is merlin or the majors right so what you'd have is a big chunk that's a lot less bargaining power and then I mean, we've talked about this with Spotify more generally, right? That like if Spotify was, I mean, when Merlin was formed, when this stuff happened, it was more concentrated with the majors, but like 30-ish, a little less, 25, 30% of the whole streaming ecosystem was kind of not, was without leverage against something like Spotify or Apple Music. You can imagine offering them much lower terms and then using that in turn as leverage against the majors. Um and so that this is a little bit of like a, a like a keeping, I mean, it's crazy to call the modern streaming system like keeping labor costs high so that workers get paid type situation. But like compared to what like it could have been, probably probably did do some actually some really good stuff along it's, those It's lines. also to me kind of like a, if you can't beat them, join them kind of sort of play in a sense. I mean, the independents aren't, in the, you know when Merlin was formed Mer- Merlin isn't necessarily like they didn't form in a sense to like join the majors but they're like needed the same negotiating power that the majors have and now when you read the headlines when you read the headlines and you hear about and you read about Merlin like signing like an exclusive licensing deal with you know Twitch or any other platform when you read those articles it's like either all three of the major labels have also recently signed a, a deal with this platform or like one of them has signed a deal and now Merlin has fallen suit or Merlin was the first one to do it. And then the labels follow suit. Like they all kind of basically act almost in unison in a strange way. But I mean, that's for the, in regards to Merlin, I mean, it's like they kind of had to play the majors game in order to allow for all these smaller labels to survive. Yeah. 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 And, and I think I want to come back to that, that point um, about the ways in which Merlin plays the majors game or rather like maybe plays the streaming game and this is the only way to play it in the modern streaming ecosystem um and and, yeah yeah yeah, i I, I want to just circle back to that later but 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 first i think there's a little bit more um there's some really interesting first off i think it's important to note that like we we don't have these contracts right but every piece of information we have is that merlin gets a less good deal than the majors does Though similarly, like, right, Mer- Merlin got a chunk of Spotify when they first licensed with it, which they later sold for a lot of money. And so they we, they do get some sort of the version of the deal. But, like, 
I imagine they're a little bit less centralized in their decision making and a little bit less, um, clearly less big. They don't have a most favored nation clause. <laughs> Holy shit! Anyway, sorry. Man. We can we can talk about that later. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! If you don't yeah, know that, yeah, yeah. go ahead and Google it. But we might talk about it later. We'll see. <laughs> Specifically in relationship to Sony's deal with uh, Spotify, which leaked in like ten years ago, but is a wild is a wild read. It's also interesting, though, like, what's what's interesting about kind of looking at Merlin is, is kind of, you can get a little bit of a sense of the kind of the history of the, di- <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this, the digital rights management ecosystem. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, you can get a, and, and, and by the digital rights management ecosystem ecosystem i mean the music industry and all of popular culture in like (laughs) modern times um but you can get this kind of little pocket history of how things change so right so when they first emerge they're in this 2007 2008 a lot of what they're doing is like being party to lawsuits like they help take down groove shark which is like was like an interesting weird streaming service uh type deal where i believe that like you were like you were streaming against songs that individual users uploaded and were like this is my personal version of the song and you can listen to it when i'm not which is like actually what spotify was doing early in its career but no one talks about it but that's a different conversation for another day however <laughs> so they were kind of being part of these lawsuits because which makes sense right that if someone is going to get a bunch of money from Groove Shark, like it should be the Libertines um, as well, <laughs> or it should be Grizzly Bear, right? So that they or Dizzy Rascal. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> I hope Dizzy got his bag. Dude, Dizzy did get his bag, but only with Bonkers. Sorry, that's just, this is a, that that was a, what you're hearing right now is the deep reverie over how Good Boy in a Corner is as an album, <laughs> which. Either we'll cut or we won't. <laughs> Unclear. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so what you get is, you know, they 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 come out against MySpace because MySpace isn't really signing licensing deals, partially because MySpace. And and you can what you can see through this kind of stuff are these like this process of the music industry that we've come to know as streaming coming into existence as the indies kind of position themselves against other possible futures, right? Like MySpace is this very like marketplacey music as a way to attract people. It's almost like in a weird way, like a proto influencer vibe, right? Like you could imagine like if MySpace was the way that digital music went, it would be like a lot of like two fan merch sales is how I imagine that would have gone. Or maybe even like weird, like in ecosystem digital goods. <laughs> you also have like, yeah, yeah, right, right. Like, like in order to put that, you have to buy the song in order to put it as the song on your homepage. Cause like MySpace was microblogging in a way that Facebook never was. I, I guarantee that that was like on the whiteboard <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Dude, yeah, all you need to do is take us back in time and we can come up with a better musical future in the present. By making sure that MySpace sees its potential as a music streaming platform. Make it happen. <laughs> Go ahead and please contact us at moneyfornothing at gmail. Okay. <laughs> M for N podcast at gmail. Um, 
No, so okay, so that's one. You get them involved in Groove Shark lawsuits as the lawsuits as the kind of free for all of the initial like blogosphere moment, right? Uh, this fascinating moment because because blogosphere like all these little MP3 blogs, um, which is actually like, look, I remember being like in high school and downloading Grizzly Bears like very first ep horn of plenty as like a junior or whatever and being like what is this music um right and so they they, they, these bands really were using these kind of sites but in some ways you can imagine as the internet develops like giving away stuff for free doesn't work the same if you have social media like post facebook right because it just gets too big or or if you get torrenting, where instead of downloading track by track, you're able to download like the entire discography really quickly. And what becomes like a really powerful way to get the word out becomes like industrial grade piracy, potentially. And Groove Shark's an example of that, right? So they're like involved in these various kinds of they they're uh, in twenty twelve, they're part of like the lawsuit against LimeWire. You know, which again is this funny thing where it's like other media companies attempting to just like go whole hog on the rights infringement that like youtube because it was video just stayed just on this side of the line and it it keeps going right and so from that initial like scene setting like level setting line drawing moment then you start getting in the early 2010s deals with youtube deals with a broader set of international services whether that's like nation-specific streaming services in like germany or you know in 2012 i think japan they're also like part of the whole like figuring out how industry centralization goes down during the period where you go from five or four and a half to three major labels and they're like deeply involved in the by through like congressional briefs and public statements in how EMI records, which is one of the major British labels that gets kind of like scrap, cut up, scrapped for parts and sold to Warner, why it gets sold to Warner, which is the smallest of the three majors, why it doesn't get sold to UMG, which UMG very much tried to buy it and why like a variety of kind of like distribution and other kinds of services gets spun out and then actually incorporated into Merlin. So like Merlin gets a piece of flesh from all of that. They're involved in like rate setting with Pandora when internet radio is really developing. And really you can kind of see step by step as you get to this moment. And, and again, and and I think that is very indicative of the complexity, but also like the kind of directionality of the modern music industry, which is like 2016 to 2021, 2022. They're just doing deal after deal after deal with companies in korea with companies in china really just trying to expand into a global into the global marketplace which is still like for all of the seemingly frictionless flow of information which we guess all know is increasingly not frictionless is also like an insane set of like legal structures that like i'm so glad i don't have to try to figure out the you know and and most recently it's been kind of like a set of video oriented social media platforms so twitch tiktok which again, kind of well, what we're seeing here is like this, like, you know, in step with like what the majors are doing. Yeah. You know, it's just like you have like there's the more digital, the more the, the more musical touch points there are like Merlin showing up and, and cutting a deal just as like the labels are. 
the major labels. Yeah, are. and and again, I think that that like that shift in focus is really interesting because I mean it suggests like something that we've been kind of saying, which is that this new form of kind of like multimedia transmedia transmedial music performance epitomized by apps like tiktok is like clearly a big concern and 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 people are folks are seeing it as a potential uh like profit center especially like things like gaming right um because in a way i think that what's interesting about the history of merlin i guess is that they're not the majors like umg is doing everything all the time (laughs) or not everything all the time but umg is doing a ton of stuff constantly Whereas like Merlin, it seems like they're cutting lots of deals, but like they're, they're smaller. And so they're like, they're doing, they're focusing on certain things. It appears like from reading, reading through their history from like news coverage of it. Right. And so you can really see the, the focus shift in ways that can be more difficult with with the majors. Yeah. In one sense, it could be more difficult, but it actually, it actually could also be more difficult for Merlin and actually easier for the majors if we start to consider and look towards the future as to what kind of pivoting the majors are going to do, considering that the overall percentage of streaming that the majors plus Merlin make up is fastly, maybe not fastly is the word, but like is decreasing at a considerable rate. Yeah. And, and, and like we, we could, we could put a pin in that and we could actually we can bring that up later if you want because i think that one thing that's it's important to also remember one thing i think it's also important to note is that it's not necessarily also very clear how merlin merlin cuts these deals and then yeah the digital service providers pay merlin and then merlin distributes that money out supposedly to all the thousands of labels uh that and and distribute and and distribution distributors that they represent independent labels and distributors that they represent but it's we have no idea like if that's percent what that percentage is or what that looks like yeah no i think that's a really good point and like at the at the you know it reminds me of the whole it actually reminds me of the whole black box paradox problem that we spoke to meredith rose about a few episodes ago in regards to spotify and how it operates and how it's cutting deals i mean you could apply that just as easily to Merlin and also the big labels. Yeah, no, no, and I think that's a really good point. And and I just want to like this part's a little bit tricky, right? Because um, so far we've presented this picture of Merlin, which is like fairly fairly positive, I think. And nothing I have read in the music press like leads me to believe otherwise, except. I just have like some like dog that didn't bark structural questions based on the fact that like it is literally impossible to be even Steven. Right. And everything that we know about how the majors operate and certainly how they operate in the digital economy and the kind of deals that they cut with these major platforms, right? Like TikTok a little while ago, um, We've talked about this before, but like there's yet another story about like the fact that they've got like a heating function where they can just like boost parts of the out, you know, use, you know, boost things through the algorithm. And it's like, yeah, of of course they can. Like (laughs) you expect this to be like, like, like fair in some like weird way. Like what does fair even mean for like a short form video platform? And, and I think more generally, so, right, so, like, given what we know about the kinds of deals that get cut, both monetary flow and just, like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of type of um, relationships that, like, 
this modern structure of the industry makes so easy because it's so opaque because you don't actually need to have like money go back and forth the way you did with payola you just like certain things hit certain things pay out and so like given the fact like if merlin is in fact doing a good job of representing the interests of these indie labels as a group to the streaming services to these platforms either they're kind of unilaterally disarming by not doing this stuff which is like i i mean maybe individual labels can do that or individual artists can do that like adele and again we've mentioned her before but like adele is on an indie label adele the woman who single-handedly snarled vinyl production for the planet earth in the last couple years um like adele's managers can cut some deals right but can franz ferdinand's managers cut some deals can you know can jack white's manager cut some deals like maybe maybe not and but like if clearly if you all you know move together if you've got the guy who knows the person who like you know those 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 kinds of relationships that kind of structural position makes these things easier so either they're kind of unilaterally disarming or they're doing it and if they're doing it who gets what favors and how those favors are distributed would be a really interesting question especially considering the fact that some of the labels on merlin are like substantive record labels and some of them are like (laughs) Like me and Saxon dot biz. <laughs> uh, we own that, by the way. Um, no. <laughs> and and furthermore, I think just to kind of add to that point is that <laughs> it's kind of that paradox of the fact that like Merlin is a necessity that and you kind of like want to be on the inside. And so like if you are on the inside yeah. and you have a disgruntled issue with Merlin and not saying maybe Merlin is doing the thing like you said and and, and is is fair and, and, and a righteous uh, organization we have no idea totally possible we have no idea theoretically say that like you were a disgruntled member of Merlin it's in your best interest to keep that under wraps and to go internally to Merlin and have that conversation and not go publicly with it and it's actually in the interest of like all the other everybody else who's a part of Merlin as well because I'm sure the big labels would love to see internal fracture at Merlin <laughs> or they wouldn't right like there's some deals that they've yeah, made or the word actually is true yeah Merlin and Warner did like some business together I mean like I actually disagree I think it's in the, in the interest of the majors to keep Merlin around I just it does seem like it's a structural necessity to have these kinds of possibilities of deals in the modern music industry and like applying what I would like to call like my like basic human nature and capitalism filter on the position is like, it seems hard to imagine things are super even Steven all the way along the line. And then, you know, you get the kind of same questions about like how and in what ways the internal culture or the objectives or the governance structure of Merlin differs or relates to the kind of positions that you see in the majors. And we don't have an answer for you. <laughs> it's unknown. But but to, to wrap up, I, I do want to think about this a little bit more and like think about the ways in which the what you were saying before Saxon about like the necessity of Merlin, right? Like what that necessity, which I think you're absolutely right about, what that necessity tells us about kind of like where we are as 
a culture and where certain kinds of what we can do, I guess, right? What 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 we can do, what viability is in like certain sets of culturally meaningful historical traditions within the music industry, in particular, the legacy of like DIY and independent music and culture from I would say like the sixties through the mid nineties. Because at one level, it seems to me like it would be a real shame to just abandon the entirety of that set of like almost like histor like resources, right? Like resonant narratives, like cultural figures, like heroes, the kind of things that like matter in organizing or thinking through possibilities for the future, but also like blindly trying to do the same thing like might like simply might not function because the, the situation has changed so dramatically. I think I think this like this kind of thinking it like brings up like a number of like questions and concerns. If you first look at the as I said earlier like the percentage of streams that it's like majors plus Merlin and how it's like decreasing, right? And like so what who makes up so now it's like 75%. Like who makes up the other 25%? It's now what's called as I mentioned at the top of the show like DIY like DIY has become the new term for like indie independent whatever right and then I was also reading I was doing some research and I was doing this reading that like there was like some sort of survey of like uh, independent artists and um, they asked them all these questions and like one of them was like how many of you like want to eventually sign to a major label and it was like one in six of the people they talked to it was like really really that's really you know, a small number right so and it, and it just brings up this question, like, what then does it mean to, like, be DIY or independent? And then, like, how do you organize? How do you make a living? I always mention Maximum Rock and Roll as, like, you know, that's the actual underground. Like, that's actual, like, independent, like, music now, right? Like, you're touring around in a van, sleeping on couches, releasing, like, limited edition cassettes. Like, that's that to me seems like the only, like, leftover sort of underground of this sort of history in which we've, in which we've discussed, right? Like, the, yeah, the built to spills are, like, not doing that anymore. They probably own houses, <laughs> you know? Um, well, yeah, and- no, no, I think it's really important because it's also, like, um, thinking about, like, for one, with that, like, independent music. But, like, it's also different, you know, like, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Like, what percentage of those folks distribute through DistroKid, you know? Or, like, are pulled into these industry structures. Or, like, eventually, you know, if maybe they don't want to sign with a a major label, but, like, they definitely like to sign with a major Hollywood artist talent agency um of the kind that like moves into the has been moving into the influencer space right and similarly i mean i think or or even on a smaller level just to add or even on a smaller level just to add to your point like how many of them are like have their music and on Bandcamp and are selling through Bandcamp, which is also part of like having to maneuver through this sort of this this industry and like you know since like Bandcamp got bought out it's like you're using the services of a major corporation basically epic games <laughs> epic games but like um it's interesting to think about what you're saying about this kind of like maximum rock and roll like really small scale stuff as the kind of like historical end point of this broader movement because it kind of bring it back to fugazi which is this band that 
we think with a lot actually like not because they were so purists but because they were purist and made money doing it right is that like practical purist (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. american pragmatists um yeah (laughs) but like that the the potential size of ambitions of that operation of discord records right was like medium small that you could you could sell tens of thousands of physical copies of a record while being completely independent and make a fair chunk of change out of it and that in the streaming ecosystem right like i do think that it's like a fundamental change if in order to be not engaged with this the broader structures and the broader extractive structures of the music industry um you have to be so small that like from a cultural standpoint it like you know like like tree falls in the forest type beat <laughs> um i mean i, I mean yeah that sorry I, sorry th- that point <laughs> you made a point one time i don't fuck it we might keep this in yeah, you made a point one time, I think, to me. I don't know if it was on this. I thought it was, I don't know if it was a part of a recording or to me personally, but we were talking about, I don't know, something about pop music or popular culture. And, it, like, it related to that point in the sense that, like, wh- or maybe, maybe it wasn't even you. Maybe I read it somewhere else. But just, like, what risk is there if it's just being done in front of you and, like, 19 people you know in an empty warehouse? Like, there's actually more risk in a sense when you're trying to reach your bigger audience and doing it in front of more people, which I just thought was, which in a sense could be an argument for like it being a more critical art in a sense. I don't know if we're going to keep that or not, but totally, totally. But no, no, but like, I I think that that's that I think that idea, right. And I didn't say that of someone else. Okay. Well here I was trying to give you, give you credit for something, but I, okay, you're right. I must've read it or something. I don't know. Um, I keep terrible notes. I, I think that like, at the same time, like, yeah, it is a certain kind of safety in that level of purity. It's also tricky because finding a meaningful relationship within this broader music industry, especially given the fact that it's so profoundly centralized. And how do you have a, like, create anything that's kind of uh, intentionally countercultural or even like intentionally subcultural right like for a mediums a medium small group of people not the whole world not no one and the potential values of creating stuff within modern culture for a medium small group of people not no one not the whole world like how do you navigate that and the potential values of that within this like within a system that's so centralized and so algorithmically structured and is like the like tiktok as the like capitalist recouping like a machine of like taking any human expression and pulling it into clicks and views is like it's a real challenge and i think that like the fascinating thing about merlin is seeing like at one level it's amazing it's amazing that this like the underground music economy that comes out of punk that comes out of hardcore right that then develops into the thriving ecosystem of the 90s that that this stuff has survived long enough to 
have a seat at the table in the music industry. And at the same time, it's like kind of sad that like this is where it ends up that, yeah, you get a table at the seat of the table, the music industry, and you kind of sometimes you're slightly in the lead of the major labels. And sometimes you sign the same deals and like clearly like the culture that you produce is kind of different, but like without, I mean, and there's an open question, maybe like, is it possible to create those kinds of like vital critical spaces and movements culturally without the kind of economic infrastructure of difference around it and maybe that's like an open that's an open question i don't think i don't i don't have an answer to that certainly i certainly have more of a cynical view on that and like you know my i'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say a definitive no but i'm going to say it's extreme yeah it's, it's a lot more difficult now and, and in a strange way like going back to your point about having a seat at the table it's like in a sense you're always kind of having to play catch up sometimes you know merlin might be ahead of the majors and signing, you know, some sort of like deal or, or making some moves that, you know, they haven't made, but you know, that just draws their attention to it. The majors attention to it. But what I'm trying to make a point out is, is that in regards to this decreasing pie of streams by the majors plus Merlin, it was, there was an interesting article recently in music business worldwide. It was one of those like opinion op-eds that the editorial board writes about like, what is the, what are the majors going to do if this numbers continues to decrease? And they started mentioning that all of the major labels are starting to put like a lot more weight and a lot more funding into like these like services that they provide. So like, you don't have to be like signed to us, but you can go ahead and offer you can go ahead and sign a deal with the orchard which is going to i don't you know offer you a number of label services basically like i'm trying to be as, as concise as possible about this but basically like, no 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 many 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 of the resources that a label provides you can make a kind of like a la carte situation which means that you can be and this is like vital right like you can be like technically independent while pretty much part of this this major label system right and so then the question is the question is how does merlin pivot that way you know can it offer the same does it have the same amount of resources and i mean obviously no but like can it offer the same it just it just brings up the question again where it's like suddenly merlin is is facing pretty soon here might be facing like another existential crisis or you know where it, it it if this ongoing trend which I also like to say this ongoing trend of like of these like one these DIY artists not wanting to be part of any label and be completely quote unquote independent, even though obviously as we just illustrated they won't ever be completely one hundred percent independent. They'll always be part of this sort of system in some sense. But I mean that actually in a way actually just fractures, and this scene or the this sort of ind- sense of independence like even more. It makes it more difficult to have a Fugazi or a Merlin. If we're all just out there and are individually like uploading our hopes and dreams up to SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and I think that one of the things that, that's complicated about that and, and that that's complicated about like that level of independence and that like the like influencer hustle culture, right. Is, you know, that sense that you need, again, it's the centralizing impulse of the, in, of the internet, right? Like you need a huge, given how cheap, every piece of attention is you need a huge audience to make money which directs people to make certain kinds of content and like again not to like over valorize like a very specific economic moment that like will not come back but like 
it, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's a loss in having people be able to make like <laughs> some money from not just money, just like be able to have medium small. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, even the idea of DIY is just being gobbled up and like commodified into this thing that's being sold back to you. Cut out the middleman. You don't need a major label. You can be DIY. But that's in the end just going to like in the end help this greater, you know, just to put a huge uh, umbrella term (laughs) over it, this greater system. (laughs) Well, yeah, no. And and that's like, no, and to be very specific there, right? Like the majors for all of their exploitive destructive tendencies at least are invested in music <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah, like there you go there's your silver good lining luck, good luck good luck with youtube <laughs> peace so I, I think that we've we've wandered far enough away from the the, the like the pointy hats over a merlin um <laughs> you know who knows i'm sure that there's a lot of uh so you know we we recently the last episode you you heard us uh doing a live taping at the water music uh summit and i'm sure there's a lot of uh i'm just gonna go ahead and put a label on all on all of you a lot of music tech heads who are currently uh screaming um at us right now uh while listening about all the possibilities of uh technology that we're, we're failing to mention here but um yeah prove us wrong uh send us an email tweet at us do all the things love to know love, love to talk more oh and also if you uh if you happen to work at merlin and are, and are having to be listening to us and want to offer us some uh some insider knowledge about the inner workings of merlin we'd love to hear it yeah yeah and, and like we are deeply deeply happy to be wrong about anything so like if we miss the mark on this this was based on a bunch of research but a book on merlin has not been written a book on merlin has not been written um not that many articles about merlin have been written so like please please we'd love to have uh have you on the show music by bird language thanks for listening we'll catch you next time bye